0: Good morning. Welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth, meaning, and beauty, and all are welcome here. If you're visiting this morning, I hope you had a wonderful Christmas. Thank you for joining us. We're glad you're here. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark in the divine, of the divine in every person, and in that spirit, I invite you to turn to your left and your right and greet the holy among us it 's our Unitarian Universalist tradition to light a chalice to begin each service, so I invite you to say with me our words for lighting the chalice, which are printed in your order of service in the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek to find and to share. Unitarian Universalism is a religious Organization, a religious movement without creed. We don't have a set series of beliefs that we all have to sign on to. So people sometimes ask, what holds you together? Well, those values that you just read together are one of the things that holds this church together. And out of those values came our mission, which we say together every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Our reading this
1: morning is titled The Task of the Religious Community by Mark Morrison Reed. The central task of the religious community is to unveil the bonds that bind each to all. There is a connectedness, a relationship, discovered amid the particulars of our own lives and the lives of others. Once felt, it inspires us to act for justice. It is the church that assures us that we are not struggling for justice on our own, but as members of a larger community. The religious community is essential. For alone, our vision is too narrow to see all that must be seen and our strength too limited to do all that must be done. Together, our vision widens and our strength is renewed
2: We gather in community. When people chose those words, it was a collaborative effort. And this congregation was at a terribly beautiful moment. It was terrible because there were many people who were mad and hurt and angry and sitting far out on the edges And it was beautiful because other people were crowding in close to see what could they do to be of help. How could they make things better? But before we get to that story, let me back up and tell you what was going on before those words got chosen. We'll start with a story. Once upon a time, there was a congregation that went looking for a minister. But not just any minister. No, they wanted a wonderful minister. They wanted a minister who could be bold and preach the paint off the walls. They wanted someone who could stick around with us and not just use the congregation as a roller rung on their career ladder. They wanted someone who would challenge them. And that is exactly the kind of minister they got. And it was wonderful and it was terrible. It was wonderful because the minister could preach the paint off the walls. But then it was terrible because it was hard to keep the walls painted. And it was wonderful because the minister settled in and showed no inclination to leave them to better his or her own self-interests. But it was terrible because the minister didn't show any inclination to leave for the congregation's best interests either. It was wonderful because the minister challenged them. And it was terrible because, you know, sometimes the world is challenging it enough and sometimes people need to be comforted too. Ministers, what are you going to do? But there was something else that was happening that the congregation hadn't quite experienced in a while. The minister drew people in, lots of people, standing room only, crowds of people who came to hear the minister. It was very exciting. But after the services, many of these people just got back in the cars and left. They were happy enough to hear the great sermons and to watch the paint peeling off the walls. But they didn't stay around afterwards to help repaint or read stories to the kids or wash dishes after the potlucks. Now, in all fairness, really, those people were doing just fine, and they felt pretty good about everything. They were, they were really feeling happy that they'd found a minister that they could listen to so that they could say they had found a church. But what they hadn't figured out is that sermons are not church. Because really, church, if you do it right, isn't a noun. It's a verb. And the folks who were just showing up for the sermons were missing the really challenging, really transformative part of church. So, when things finally went kaboom, which they do when church is a verb, all of a sudden the minister was gone, and the people who were there to just see the minister show, well, a lot of them just left. And that's probably okay. A little sad to see the empty spaces where they'd been sitting. But some of them didn't leave. As the dust swirled around and finally began to settle, they blinked as if wakening from a magic spell, an illusion, and they began to notice that, even without a minister, church continued. And some of them began to finally understand that the underlying, the foundational ministry of the church was the congregation. All those people they'd been sitting next to, they were ministers, and they were good ones. It was during this time that the congregation, everyone who was still showing up, got to really see church as a verb, a process of creating and becoming together. It was pretty cool. And so when they set out to identify their mission, the reason for doing their church stuff, they all agreed that the most important part of what they were doing was simply coming together, gathering in community. Because while individuals can be charismatic and amazing and powerful, there are some things that you can only build where two or more are gathered.
0: One of the things that this religious community does when we gather is to take a moment each Sunday and to breathe together. Enter a time of reflection, meditation, or prayer. And breathing together follow that breath to that deeper, more vulnerable place inside that paradoxically is where that spark of the divine that we talk about resides. Together we find a place of deeper wisdom together. Breathing in, breathing out, we share a moment of sacred silence. Community to connect with joy, sorrow, and service with those whose lives we touch. That's the topic of this, the second in a series of Sunday services about our church's religious values, values that are central and at the heart of this religious community and out of which our mission that we say together every Sunday arose. So building on what Nell had to say, I'd like to talk for a moment about what we mean by community, how we build and sustain religious community, starting with inside these church walls. Because I think that sometimes when we talk about community, we kind of have this naive hallmark view of it, where we think we're all going to love each other all of the time and we're going to have nothing but fun and hugs and joy, sipping coffee, nibbling delicious food and singing Kumbaya together. No, we're not singing that this morning or ever when I'm leading worship. (laughs) Now, I do think that's all part of it. One of the reasons that I love serving this church is that we do have fun together. We share a sense of humor and joy. I just think that there's more to it than that. Like a long-lasting, fulfilling marriage or relationship, I think we have to accept that we will struggle sometimes we will have disagreement we will have conflict in fact I would worry about a church that never had any conflict because that could indicate that things were just being swept under the rug or even worse that what we were really forming was kind of this private club of like minds and not real diverse religious community So we have to be committed to and willing to do the work of maintaining relationship, of sustaining an ever-changing, ever-evolving religious community. Now... There's this theology that proposes that God or the divine emerges out of the messiness of doing community. Now, let's put aside for a minute that this theology also proposes a supernatural God, which I don't believe. But I will say I was fortunate enough to experience the process this theology is trying to capture right here in this church after what Meg describes as the time of trouble had happened. Briefly, several years ago now, by a fairly narrow margin, the church had voted to dismiss the person who was then the senior minister. And it was messy. We had disagreement. We had conflict. We had hurt feelings. And yet leadership emerged that was wise enough to bring in outside help and to provide lots of opportunities for folks in this church to talk with one another, not just on what they thought about what was happening, but how they felt about it. This religious community went about the work of beginning the process of healing This religious community created a covenant of healthy relations that describes how we will be with one another in religious community, what promises we make to one another. This religious community went about discerning those values that we're discussing in this sermon series and that mission that gives us such common purpose out of The messiness and the hurt and the disagreement because some folks in this church stayed in the struggle together and went about the work of building and rebuilding relationship, a new church has become that is even stronger than before, a church that's providing a spiritual home for more and more people who really need it, a church that's making real differences in our community and our world, a church that I am proud to serve. Now, for sure, that's an example from an extraordinarily challenging and thankfully rare situation. But I think that that commitment to staying in the struggle with each other, that willingness to recognize that sometimes community will involve messiness is still very important, even during times like these where things are going relatively well and there's a sense of goodwill among the congregation members. Because smaller disagreements and conflicts can still happen, which, if left unattended and unspoken, can fester and and lead to larger problems sometimes. Because we're all human, and we will all fail one another from time to time. So even during times such as this, religious community calls us to abide by our covenant with one another to ask one another for help when we need it, to speak with one another directly and from the heart, even over our smaller disagreements and conflicts. We are so fortunate to have a healthy relations ministry team that can help when doing so seems difficult. It can be difficult. It can feel very vulnerable. And maybe, maybe that's the key point. Without vulnerability, there can be no true religious community. Only when we are vulnerable with each other do we create that true sense of religious community. Can the divine emerge from among us?
2: I used to think of church kind of like a a wonderful banquet. Long tables spread with beautiful food and wonderful, satisfying companions and In this analogy, there's a place for everyone at the table. there can be the vegans over here and the and the Brussels sprout fanatics over here and and the paleo people so, And the minister serves as kind of the person who helps people find their place at the table and and points out what's good. And the congregants take turns eating and talking and serving and washing the dishes. Everybody has a place. Everybody takes their turn. And the covenant serves as the house rule. That used to be my vision, my version, my understanding, my ecclesiology. you got to learn those words when you go to seminary. So Explain your ecclesiology. So that's a really pleasant image. But the more I started unpacking church, the more I realized that didn't quite get at it. Because it didn't include that really radical bit about change. It's all about comfort and inclusion, but not change. So I had to go back and rethink my ecclesiology. Why we gather. And I came to a new version. Church is a laboratory where we do experiments. A place where people come and learn new ways of seeing their world. New ways of being in their world. In this vision, we are building a new way and we work together, and sometimes there's a flash of light and a puff of smoke, and somebody walks out with singed eyebrows. Church. In this vision of church, I see us conducting experiments. You could look through the the, the announcements and you'd see experiments. Being well together. Oh, that's, 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 that's going to be interesting. Here's one. Walking and talking. And then after you've completed that one, not walking and not talking. And then a really important experiment ongoing, letting go. If church is a laboratory, then it becomes the place where we work at becoming a people so bold, a place where we come to change ourselves and thereby change our world. Now, in this version of church, it is explicitly a challenge to the people who identify as SBNR, spiritual but not religious, that's just how a lot of folks will explain why they don't do church. Because they're just fine with their spirituality. There's no need to complicate things with institutions or really other people. Not even other SBNR people. Because, you know, people they can be so peoply. They can be so challenging. Because here's the problem with trying to do spiritual but not religious. If you're off doing it all alone, there's no one around to call you on your nonsense. No one to point out your useless abstractions or the self-indulgences that don't ask you to look a little closer, work a little harder. No one else to point out Another way of seeing the holy. No one else to point out the gaps in your own theology. No one else to show you how they give thanks. So come into this community. Come into this community of love and learning and falling down and making mistakes and getting up and starting over. We begin again is how we do our theologies, gathered in community.
0: Earlier, I talked a little bit about community within our church walls. Now, I'd like us to think about how we live that religious value beyond them. As most of you know, this past summer, the church provided sanctuary to Sulma Franco, who was seeking asylum in the U.S. because she feared persecution over having organized on behalf of gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender rights in her home country of Guatemala. Then, due to the bureaucracy and built-in injustice of our immigration system Because of a small mistake her lawyer had made with some paperwork, she had ended up spending nine months in a detention center and came to us facing an imminent order of removal, or deportation. Working with a coalition of immigrant and human rights organizations and groups, other churches, and other religious leaders, we engaged in in an effort to convince ICE to grant Sulma a stay of removal, which would allow her to stay in the United States so that her immigration case could continue to be processed. In August, the ICE office in San Antonio notified Sulma's new lawyer that they would indeed grant her a stay of removal, but they said that Sulma had to accompany her lawyer into that ICE office to sign some required paperwork. Now, not surprisingly, Sulma was afraid that if she did so, they might detain and deport her instead. So, after lots of conversation and planning with our allies, and after our senior minister Meg had received assurances from the person in charge of that ICE office that they wouldn't detain Sulma, we brought a whole entourage of folks to San Antonio, where we were met outside that ICE office by some supporters from San Antonio, as well as some of the press that we had invited. Now, we hit a snag almost immediately. Meg called that ICE officer in charge of that office from her cell phone and asked if he would come down and say in front of the press that they wouldn't detain Sulma, and he said that he couldn't because of ICE policy. So Sulma had to decide whether she would still go in anyway, given that all we had were his private assurances to Meg. She decided that she would, if Meg and I would, lock arms with her, one of us on each side of her like this, and go in with her and her attorney. The ICE officer met us as soon as we entered the building. Sulma started trembling. I could actually feel her shaking. I have no idea what kind of courage it must have taken her to move past that fear and enter that building. She was so terrified that she wouldn't let go of either me or Meg for any reason. So now we had a new problem because to go any further into the building, there was one of those metal detectors with those conveyor belts for the x-ray that you have to put your, you know, purses and iPhones on and all of that. And so we're fumbling around trying to figure out how to get things out of our pockets and onto the conveyor belt while still locked arm in arm. The ICE officer took mercy on us and said, y'all can just go on past that. But then the space between the metal detector and the wall was about this wide. So in order to stay connected to Sulma, we had to kind of go sideways and shuffle like this. We got in, and I looked around, and there were lines and lines of folks, most of them people of color, waiting and waiting and waiting to find out about their own immigration status. I thought, they must wonder who this woman is being escorted right past them and into some private offices, locked arm in arm with two white people, one of whom was wearing this weird bright yellow scarf. I thought, a lot of them must be terrified too. After what felt like hours I finally did finish the paperwork that legally said that they wouldn't detain or deport Sulma, and we left the office. Sulma, with her documents of freedom held high overhead as the people outside who supported her were cheering and celebrating her victory. I think that on that day, what Martin Luther King called the beloved community had happened. Now, that's a term that gets overused, but as he meant it, it meant a community of radical love, justice, compassion, and interdependence. We needed other folks to build that beloved community that day. Our individual efforts to do justice are wonderful and needed, and our mission says we gather in community to do justice. We have so much more power to do justice when we act together. We have so much more power to create that beloved community when we act with our interfaith partners and our larger denominations and a broad range of diverse folks like we did on that day in San Antonio. Because because we do these things not just to save one person, though that's vital and important, we do them also to shine a light on our broken and inherently racist and LGBT oppressive immigration system so that one day, one day, if we can build larger and larger coalitions, we might just be able to bring the change that would free so many of those other terrified people that we passed by that day. Building The beloved community requires, in the words of our great Unitarian Universalist theologian, James Luther Adams, the organization of power and the power of organization. That's why we gather in community to do justice. That's how we create the conditions where the divine can emerge in this world, in this time, here, now. Amen. Please join me with saying our words for extinguishing our chalice, which are printed in your order of service. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. You go back out into the world now. Know that there is a love that you carry with you beyond these church walls. Know that our interconnectedness contains seeds of hope for justice and compassion to be made manifest. Know that together with one another and the many others who will join us to create a world wherein each is truly beloved, together almost unlimited possibilities are still ours to create. Go in peace. Go with love. Go knowing that this religious community awaits you and holds you until we are together again. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of
1: Austin. For more information, go to our website at www.austinuu.org.